Hey, this is the Bartender Journey Podcast. My name is Brian Vincent Weber, and this is the podcast that talks all about bartending and spirits and cocktails, and uh, I'm glad you're here with us today. Uh, Today is very special. This is episode number 99, by the way, number 100 coming up. That's pretty cool. And uh, this time I will be bringing you an interview with Dale DeGroff that I had breakfast. I had breakfast with Mr. DeGroff during Tales of the Cocktail last year. And, uh, this is part of our conversation to, uh, this is sort of half of it. Uh, to hear the entire thing, you have to be a Tales 365 member. And, uh, you can go to talesofthecocktail.com slash Tales dash the number 365. So it's Tales of the Cocktail slash Tales 365 with a dash and uh or just google it you'll find it and uh yeah there you can sign up for the tales 365 program and there's a lot of benefits to doing that uh including hearing these full-length podcasts that i produce for them and uh there's uh access to the seminars from tales of the cocktail and there's uh online uh webinars and things like that hangouts uh with authors of books and uh discounts at cocktail kingdom a lot of cool stuff so that's worth doing and yeah i was just talking on the phone yesterday with tales of the cocktail and uh we're gonna do it all over again in 2015 tales of the cocktail i'll be uh producing podcasts for them again i'll be staying right there in the thick of things at the hotel monteleon and uh looking forward to that i'm excited before i get to the interview with dale uh we i've got a little news for you on resources uh little sort of quick uh, book review. I got the um, Death & Co. book, Death & Co. being one of the high, highest-end bars in Manhattan, and uh, it's a great, great spot and uh, very talented people working there, and they wrote a great book, and uh, it's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying the book. Uh, there's a lot about um, tasting and techniques and uh, how, to, how to develop new cocktail recipes, and, uh, of course, there's a lot of recipes in there, and uh, very in-depth book uh, about running uh, a cocktail program. So I'm enjoying that book. You might want to check it out. I noticed on, uh, did I, am I remembering this correctly? It's sold out on Amazon? Yeah, it's temporarily out of stock on Amazon. How about that? Amazing. Well, one of the things they talk about in the book, which is interesting and, and uh, different from how I originally learned how to build drinks, is uh, start with the cheapest ingredients first and make your way up, and then add uh, you'll add the ice last into your mixing tin or uh, glass. And uh, the reason for that is if you make a mistake, you can uh, throw it out and not feel so bad about throwing away the most expensive thing. I always learned to start with the <laughs> years ago. I learned to start with the ice, put in the liquor. That's going to start getting it chilled right away, and then uh, continue on from there. But that's not necessarily the best way to do it. And uh, the reason behind that makes a lot of sense. If we uh, make a mistake, we can throw away the least expensive ingredients before we uh, start putting the pricey stuff in there. And there's another advantage to putting the ice in last, and I learned this from Dale DeGroff at one of his seminars. It's the fact that if you're a free-pour bar, you're not using jiggers, you're not measuring, uh, you're free-pouring, and you're building your drink in a clear uh, glass, mixing glass, you can kind of get a sense, a visual sense of how much of each ingredient you've put in there. Just a second, uh, just a second way to check how much how, you, how much you're putting in there. Uh, you know, you're going to count, of course, one, two, three, four, five. That should be about an ounce and a quarter. Um, but you'll have that visual reference as well. Without the ice, with the ice, it's uh, a little more, a little trickier. You're, you're putting a variable in there that makes things uh, a little harder to judge. So that's another great tip that I only learned myself fairly recently. 
All right, so as I mentioned, I was honored to have breakfast with Mr. Dale LeGroff at Tales of the Cocktail this last year and uh, recorded the conversation. I'm sure many of you know the story of Dale LeGroff, but I'll quickly go through it. The story kind of starts in the 1980s when the cocktails were um, pretty low quality all around. Uh, a lot of um, you know brightly colored artificial ingredients went into cocktails at, at that time. And uh, Dale was working at, as a bartender at the Rainbow, Room, famous bar, uh, famous restaurant in Manhattan, and uh, Joe Baum, which was a great restaurateur in New York City, uh, told Dale that uh, he wanted he wanted fresh ingredients, he wanted um, top quality gourmet cocktails at his at his Rainbow Room. So uh, he told Dale to uh, find a copy of Jerry Thomas's book, which goes back uh, to the 1800s. And Jerry Thomas, that's a whole other uh, story, but uh, he, he was a uh, famous sort of celebrity bartender at that time, and he wrote a book. At that time, it was very hard to find. Now, now it's easy to find reprints of Jerry Thomas's works, and that's worth checking out, too. So Dale found a copy of that, and uh, he instituted this great uh, cocktail program at the Rainbow Room, and he inspired this whole new movement of um, quality cocktails, fresh ingredients, and is uh, sort of the godfather of our, of our business. And he's a real gentleman. Well, here, let's listen in to my conversation with Mr. Dale DeGroff. As I said, I uh, thank you again for uh, reintroducing um, us to fresh ingredients and, and uh, great cocktails. How do you see... Um, this all progressing over the next, say, maybe two to four years or so? <laughs> well, I couldn't see this coming, so I don't have a clue where it's gone from here. <laughs> I mean, what it's developed into is just a testament to, you know, human ingenuity. You know, you get people started on a track, and they just just delightful to see how many roads they can go down. I think now that we've opened the culinary side of the business to the bar, it's somebody in my, in my uh, godfather seminar yesterday said, well, do you think there can be too many ingredients in a cocktail? And I said, well, are there too many ingredients in culinary side of the business? Right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. So why, why would we think of it that way on the, on the beverage side? Well, uh, to change the subject a little, I, uh, can you offer uh, any advice to young bartenders or people trying to get into the business? Well, I think the first thing you have to uh, investigate about yourself is, do you like people? Right. <laughs> and if you are kind of quiet and reserved uh, unless you can overcome that I'd say you might want to investigate the kitchen <laughs> yeah um, I, I would say there's a number of things you can do one of them is to take acting classes and dancing classes I know that sounds ridiculous but that's what I did and I think if I hadn't have done it I would not have had the, the, the physical confidence and also the uh, feeling confident speaking in public uh, and having the focus on me and, and being able to, uh, you know, be a good host. Right. So, and, as, and the dance part of it, you know, you really, as a bartender, I'm moving all the time. People are watching your movements. They're very interested in how you, how you look back there and being graceful, being, having a, a beautiful economy of movement uh, is, a, is, a, is a beautiful thing to watch. It's a dance. Um, I would take cooking classes, in particularly knife skills and saucier classes because those are the two you're going to need most uh, often in this new culinary-style cocktail world that we live in. And I know that all sounds ridiculous, because now we haven't even gotten into drink-making or any of the kind of questions you have to take for that, or wine or beer or anything, but those things, I think, are just as essential, because they will make you successful, you know. Oh, that's great. 
Yeah, and on the other end of the spectrum, for people maybe have been in the business a while and are a little burned out from being behind the stick, <laughs> how can how can they transition into um, you know other parts of the business that we all love, but maybe you know don't want to be up till three in the morning every night? Well, you can make a lot of choices now that were not available some years ago. Your choice may be to work your way uh, through several different disciplines. How do you make these drinks? How do you become a good host? What is this wine thing all about? How do you make it? You know, how do I serve it? What goes with what? What's this beer thing all about? Why are there so many new beers on the market? You know, let me find out about that. Why are, why are people so crazy about coffee all of a sudden? What the hell is that all about? You know, how do I do that? And then there's tea. Tea has become incredibly complex. It's become a part of the cocktail world. It's now an ingredient. You know, what are these crazy kinds of teas? And why do some of them smoky and some of them are so delicate? What's that all about? So if you can master all of that, little by little, a couple of years here, a couple of years there, a couple of years there, you know, work in a vineyard, you know, work in a bar, work over here, work in a distillery. How's this stuff made? What's distillation all about? If you can get to that point and you're really good at it, you can probably command a salary in the mid-six figures from some big corporation like the Marriott Group or Ian Schrager Luxury Hotels, which is now having a project with the Marriott Group, or all these upscale multi-units, you know, mid to luxury uh, restaurant brands who are desperate for people that have all those disciplines so that they can now compete in this new craft uh, world. So they need a person overall to go to their 50 stores and train the trainers and make it, and, and install all this stuff that is just, you know, without, you're, you're going to be at a terrible competitive disadvantage. Yeah. And uh, again, the other end of that spectrum is these little bar owners are so resistant to anything that raises the poor cost at all. You know, I mean, I found that... Uh, or raises, I, raises what? The poor cost. You know, the, anything that raises their cost, they're so resistant against it, you know, and so they're, they're shooting themselves in the foot, in my opinion, by, you know, serving the same old stuff. Same well, not, old. not necessarily. You're talking about neighborhood bars right now. Yeah. And neighborhood bars are a completely different animal. They're there for a reason. They, they provide an incredible service in big cities, you know, to people who live in boxes and don't have any kind of comfort in their home necessarily and probably don't have much companionship in their home because they're living in little boxes. So, in fact, those neighborhood bars are critical to the society, social fabric of that neighborhood. And what they provide is a living room, uh, an extended family, and their, their, their main business is not uh, the uh, dispensing of craft or luxury uh, beverage goods. Their main purpose is is to provide that service to the neighborhood, and uh, in many cases, those neighborhoods are in um, areas that are financially challenged, and so they don't have the money for those products anyway. So if they were to introduce them, they would wouldn't sell. So so I think you have to look at at the demographics before you. Uh, decide what they should be serving or why aren't they doing this or why aren't they doing that. I think there are lots of different kinds of bars and they're all part of the fabric of this industry and um, uh, I think they have their place. That's beautifully said. Thank you. <laughs> I, I also, uh, I've heard you talk about this in the past, but uh, I'd love to hear it again. How your analogy of the cocktail is the American experience of all things coming together. I, th- I thought that's such a great, great it's, it's um, well, we, around the world, as you go from country to country or from area to area even, um, you know, there are, there are beverage traditions that go back thousands of years. And, you know, going back to mead, <laughs> made from honey, and then beer, and then distilled spirits and elixirs uh, of all different descriptions and types. But in, in, uh, in most cases, you found, for example, 
the uh, Bitter Aperitivo, Amaro, liqueur kinds of brands coming uh, out of the Italian uh, city-states. A lot of the monasteries were, were in the very early years critical to distillation and they were using herbs and, and they were looking for medicine basically, they were looking for elixirs, they were looking for things that would make the king feel better <laughs> and um, cure his lazy libido. <laughs> anyway, so they, you know, you saw the liqueurs, that tradition happening in, in Italy and then France and then you saw wine in the region uh, because it's uh, it's in a in a region temperate enough for wine grapes to grow successfully uh, and those, that tradition came to us uh, the tradition of beer certainly a, an anglo-saxon but it goes back to egypt i mean you know the egyptians started it and now uh, we think of the uk as as like the center of, of of that evolution you know if you if you will uh, which it quickly crossed the pond and became an important part of american life uh, as did wine, but as did liqueurs, as did distilled spirits, as everybody came here from all these different areas and bringing their traditions with them. And uh, when they got here, eventually uh, the American tradition of alcohol beverage emerged, and that was to take lots of these different parts and put them together in a single cocktail, and, and a single drink and call it a cocktail. So the cocktail is, is really a kind of a metaphor for the American experience in a sense. And you know what? It is something that we will not give up ever. It is a part of our fabric, you know, cocktail lounges, even in the dingiest neighborhood, in the, in the dumpiest part of Detroit, you're gonna see a little lounge that has a cocktail neon glass in the window. You know what I mean? Yeah. And somebody's gonna make you a Manhattan in there probably. But uh, it, it, it's not, I mean, they tried to take it away from us in Prohibition. And that was a dumb idea, but it really started way, way back uh, in 1806 and even before. I mean, the sling was really the New World uh, poor uh, version of a punch, because what was a sling? Strong spirits, sugar, and water. The two th things missing from that are the citrus and the spice. And understandably, those are expensive things. And although England had its great punch parties and it was the, it was the celebration of the upper classes, the upper classes of Boston certainly had that same thing. But for most of the regular folks, they had slings. And when they figured out a way to get the sling closer to what the rich guys were drinking, and that was to take this bottled spice thing called bitters and dash it in there, well, you know, all of a sudden they could be fancy. And, it, and they even put a name on it, you know, they called it a bittered sling, or finally, as that wonderful Hudson New York newspaper said, uh, a, a cocktail in its definition, a cocktail is strong spirits of any kind, sugar, water, and bitters, also known as a bittered sling. And that became the beginning. Of course, it was a novelty then, let's face it, you know, because really what the American cocktail is, it's an iced drink, and ice is a critical part of it. So uh, ice was, you know, the property of the very wealthy back in those days. You didn't have artificial ice machines yet. Uh, so you had to buy it from people who cut it out of lakes, and that was an expensive process. So if you didn't have an ice house, you couldn't save it. So average folks, you know, it wasn't until the middle of the 19th century when ice machines were a thing that was ubiquitous. You had the, uh, the ability to have an ice bin tool around your neighborhood and drop a block of ice off for you. The uh, Bar Smarts course, I'd love to talk about that. How did that come to uh, fruition? Well, we have this thing called the Bar Five Day. It's kind of a boot camp, and it takes place in New York every fall. We're 
I guess we started in 2005, six. I don't remember. Some folks from different big liquor companies started sniffing around. First, it was Diageo, and they contracted us to do something called Drink Well. It was a collaboration they were having with the Zagat restaurant guide. So we started creating some events from some uh, software, some material, you know, um, that they could use in this program of how to improve your bar and get a Drink Well sticker in your window, like the Zagat sticker. Okay. And so they had us training some of these bars, and if you pass, you know, you could get the Drink Well sticker. About midway through that program, somebody at Diageo decided that the money would be better spent in another way, uh, so they diverted the monies to a print campaign, and they hired a, some folks to do that, and the training part of it sort of fell to the back of the class, and, and we, we were fired, ostensibly. And um, then another drinks company came around, and they had, after seeing our five day, had the idea that there could be a, an academy for bartenders and possibly online. So they, we met with them and decided that, yeah, we thought that was a brilliant idea. We were all over it. And we started taking the stuff out of our manual, arranging it in a way that was a little less intensive because this was gonna be for the, you know, the beginning to the journeyman bartender, not the master. So we kind of uh, toned it down a little bit so that it was, it was more approachable as a, for, the, for the young beginner bartender. And we hired a, a software, I mean a hardware company and, a, and some, some computer uh, code writers to, to, to put this into, into a proper format online. Yeah. And that, that took some years because we wanted, a, we wanted a practical drink builder. In other words, you could test people on how to build a drink and that took a lot of thought. And I worked very heavily on that part of it because, you know, there's two different garnishes that are acceptable for this particular drink. There's even different recipes for this particular drink, you know, and so it got complicated and we had to figure out how much of this can we really put into this and and when can we say yes, you got it right even though you didn't pick the answer that the machine wants you to pick, you know, all this stuff. So we finally, I think, got it to a point where it really, really works and by choosing the right cocktail that was more defined and stuff like that. Essentially, people started taking this course online and then we had the bright idea that now that people have graduated from this course, what's next? A more advanced course. So what we'll do is we'll we'll get these people involved even deeper with even more with richer material and we will go around to their area and we'll test them in a day of testing. And that became something called uh, Bar Smarts Live. And we've now been to I don't know, I lost track. Almost forty cities more maybe. Yeah. We're gonna go five more this year. So we've actually uh, uh, certified lots and lots of bartenders. We we've actually made made inroads into the bartending community in the thousands and thousands because uh, it, the, it certainly with the Wired and, and um, you know also with uh, with the uh, Live and we're it's an ongoing program and there really isn't there isn't anything in the market that has that kind of scope in, in its in its uh, software if you will uh, and I think it'll, it'll for years be a, a, a really important tool for young bartenders great stuff great stuff well, I, I won't take up too much more of your time. It's been a, such a pleasure to meet you, and uh, I thank you for talking to me, and I thank you for everything you've done for our industry, really. It's my pleasure. Thank you. So there you have it, my talk with Dale DeGroff. It was such an honor and a privilege. There's great information there, and I loved his description of the neighborhood bar. I thought that was really awesome. And uh, that was a portion of the interview. Uh, to hear the whole unedited version, you'll have to become a Tales 365 member, and uh, you can do that on talesofthecocktail.com uh, slash tales dash number 365. 
So uh, check that out. And uh, hey, this was show 99. Thank you so much to uh, everybody for listening. I appreciate it. And show number 100 is next. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what we're going to be doing for that, but I'm uh, going to try to make it something special and for the 100th show. So uh, my name is Brian Vincent Weber. This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. Thanks for listening. You can find the Bartender Journey website at bartenderjourney.net. And you can uh, search Facebook for the Bartender Journey page. And you can follow me on Twitter at barkeeptips. Feel free to email me at vince.bartender at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Cheers. Cheers.